welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hello, friends. How are we? Beautiful faces. Love to see you all here this morning. Uh, my name is Micah. If we haven't met, uh, one of the pastors at Awaken. Um, hey, if you call this place home, uh, those buckets there, uh, the cards, if you're new, can go in there. Otherwise, if you uh, uh, call this place home and want to participate in what God's doing financially, that can all go in there. Um, Mark, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. So uh, if you have a Bible, if you want to open it, uh, please do so. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. Um, as we, uh, er, as you turn there, I'll just say briefly, um, last year we started something called the Lilydale Food Patch. Uh, many of you are familiar with this. I'm guessing some of you are not. Uh, it's under snow right now. It's at the other, other end of the parking lot out the door here to the left. And uh, essentially what, what it was was a, a, a sort of community garden, but um, a little tweak on it in that we uh, people from Awaken tended to it, uh, watered it, so on and so forth, and all of the food that was grown there last year went to two different partners that we have, Neighbors, Neighborhood House down on, I think it's Robert Street down there, and then Neighbors Inc., uh, and the food shelves there. Uh, we'd, we're going to do that again this summer, and um, we recognize there's just a lot of people who weren't here with us last summer who are here now. So all kinds of ways that you can get involved in that. Uh, it's just a, a labor of love. It's labor intensive. Um, and so if you're interested in that, if you like gardening, or even if you um, you don't, you would say, like, I'm not very good at it, it's not that hard. I can do it, and I did it last summer, and you can do it. I promise you that. Um, it's really not difficult. Turn on the water and spray. <laughs> So there's a couple of dates that are coming up that are important. There's a work day coming up. Um, all of this information is online. I'm not going to try to remember because I, I won't. Um, but if you go to the uh, awakencommunity.com, click on the serve tab, it should pop down Lilydale Food Patch. Check that out. Um, and it's kind of it's something that we need, have needs for all summer long. So if you're interested in that, please fill out the form there. And then Corky, who's actually next door hanging out with our kids, um, will contact you. Does that sound good? Yes. Great. Um, uh, okay, so Mark chapter 1. If you're new, we're in this series called Eat This Book, and we have started from the beginning of the scriptures uh, with the creation of the world in Genesis, and really followed the story all the way along, kind of highlighting the, the biggest pieces, or the sort of uh, uh, important, at least as we deem them, uh, which includes the creation of the world, the creation of Israel in Genesis chapter 12. God says to Abraham, leave your father, your mother, and your, and your, your land, your na native uh, kin, and go to a place I will show you. The beginning of the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel finds themselves at the end of Genesis in, in exile, really at the opening of Exodus, in uh, the, the country of Egypt where we find Moses is sent, if you've seen the prince of Egypt, that's what that story is about. Um, and he frees them from Egypt and leads them into the land God gives them, at which point they're given a group of people called the judges who kind of help them figure their way uh, in the land. They ask for kings. God says he doesn't want to. They keep asking. He says, fine. They get kings. And then that leads to a, a period called the prophets. And we just kind of wrap that up where the prophets uh, constantly are challenging the Israelites to come back, to come back. Listen, this is what it means to be in relationship with Yahweh. And in between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there's 400 years that's commonly referred to as the 400 years of silence. So last week we talked about the angel coming to Mary. This week we're going to talk about the story of John baptizing Jesus. This is found in three of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, which doesn't include John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this event. And um, as I've studied, and I had this kind of before this week, but as I've read and, and really kind of 
taken a, uh, um, I was going to say a bite out of Mark, but all I could hear was like McGruff, a bite out of crime. And it just threw me for a loop. Um, as I've been uh, in Mark, I will go on record and say Mark is my favorite gospel. Mark is incredible. He is such an unbelievable writer. The way he uses imagery and symbolism and the Old Testament and scripture, it's, it's exquisite. It's so mind-blowing. Uh, and hopefully you get a little bit of that today. Um, this is one author's comments on the opening of Mark's gospel, which we're going to read, okay? This guy, is re- he's really into it. <clears throat> he says this about Mark. The opening scenes of the Gospel of Mark remind me of a minimalist theater. Punctuated by divine voices offstage and human cries at center stage, the prologue narrates the story of an invasion, throwing existence as usual into sharp relief. Prophetic muses, long silent, suddenly sing again. A messenger is announced and in turn heralds the advent at long last of one strong enough to wrestle the world from the death grip of power. Right? I mean, this guy's really into it. It gets better, though. He says this. In this prologue, Mark wields the Sith of apocalyptic symbolics. Yes. Clearing narrative space from among the weeds so that the seeds of a radically new order might be pressed into the weary soil of the world. Mark calls this the good news. Ah, it's good. It's good. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we're going to read uh, through verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, This is the beginning of Mark's Gospel. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. At this, and this was his message, after me comes the one, who, or comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Other, the other gospel writers say the Holy Spirit and fire. And at that time, Jesus of Naz- came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up from out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Pray with me. God, as we open your scripture, um, we, uh, we recognize that there is something about this book that for, uh, from its inception, you have been revealing yourself to those who would have eyes to see and ears to hear you. And so, God, uh, it's my hope and my prayer that as we gather this morning that that would remain true. I have no reason to believe that it won't. Um, but open us up, God. We, we present ourselves in, in a way that we, we want to hear. And so, God, I ask that you would speak a word. Um, that would be um, what we need in this moment, in each of our lives. We pray in your name by the power of your spirit. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. I, I got to be honest. I'm really, really, I've been chomping at the bit this week. Uh, so, uh, here we go. Um, for Mark, <laughs> this is l- a very epic moment. This is 
Um, not only is Israel about to change, but Mark believes that the whole entire world, the cosmos, the way in which the world works, is about to change. Mark's opening line in, in this, this, the, the first like 12 words is, you could spend three weeks preaching on this because what he's saying is so massive. He starts and he says, the beginning. Does this remind anyone of anything? Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? Mark believes that not only is Israel going to be recreated, not only all of humanity, but the entire world is about to undergo something in the beginning. And so he's tapping into this story that's been going on from the beginning. He says, in the beginning, this is the good news. Uh, and the word here is evangelion. It's, it's a Greek word, and it's where we get our word evangelical. And you have to know that this word is not something that's new or foreign to the people who heard at first. 20th century Protestant evangelicals have not laid claim on this. People have been using this word for a very long time. In fact, here's a quote from a 9th century Roman uh, person. He says, because providence has ordered our life in a divine way and since the emperor, so he's speaking of the emperor, through his epiphany has exceeded the hopes of former evangelians, former good news, surpassing not only the benefactors who came before him, but also leaving no hope that anyone in the future will surpass him. And since the birthday of the God was for the world, the beginning of his good news, evangelion, may it therefore be decreed that. Listen, in the time of, of Jesus' day, the Rome was in power and there were emperors. And prior to Jesus' day, actually about 70 or 100 years before Jesus, there was one Rome, Roman emperor in particular, who died, and when he did, the Romans deified him, which is to say, they made him a god, or they believed that he was a god. So his son, Caesar Augustus, actually was called the son of God, right? Now enter that into the milieu or the culture of the Gospels and when they're being written. What John, or what Mark is saying is that this is, the good news is not connected to Rome, and it's not connected to the emperor, because when the emperor would send out a decree into the empire, he would say, the good news from the empire is, the evangelion of the empire is, that Rome has won again, and that more land has been secured, and more peace and more prosperity is unto you if you will bow a knee to Rome. All of this is yours. So what Mark's doing is very subversive. He's saying it's not the empire, it's not Rome, it's not any sort of Caesar, but it's Jesus that's the good news. And then he finishes off and he says he's the son of God, which has huge cultural and political implications. Because if the, if the Caesar was also called the son of God, or the Caesars were called the sons of God, depending on who was in power, what Mark is saying is it is not Rome who brings about peace. It is not Rome who brings about power. It's not Rome who brings about a new kingdom. It's this Jesus. All in the first 12 words. Okay. Now, one, I, I think you could actually teach like four to five months on this passage that we just read. I obviously can't do that, uh, or you would be here all day and you would not like me. And who doesn't want to be liked, right? So what I'm going to do is break it down a little bit. I want to offer uh, three-ish, three-and-a-half-ish, depending on how you count, of the most um, interesting and accessible provocations that I think rise up out of this text. The first one is found in chapter, uh, well, it's one, chapter one, verse four. It says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance, listen very carefully, for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Couple of questions here. Where do we find John? Not a trick question. Feel free to shout it out. We're not, you know. Wilderness. In the wilderness. Thank you. He's in the wilderness, okay? 
Wilderness is also, or, 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 or um, as it's, it's also commonly translated desert. The word desert in Hebrew, and we've talked about this along this journey, is deber, and it means to speak. And to time and time again, over and over and over again, when people find themselves in the wilderness, we find that God speaks. So John is out in the wilderness, and who is he calling out to him? Who? I heard it. The Jews. Israel, right? Pay attention. John is in the wilderness, the place where God speaks, and he's inviting the nation of Israel to come out into the wilderness. Remember where we are in time, okay? The Jew, this is called the exilic period. The Jews have been taken to Babylon. Persia has taken over. They've been sent back to the land. This is Ezra and Nehemiah. And they've been spending all of their time and effort building what edifice in Jerusalem? The temple! Because this is the center of Israelite worship. This is the pinnacle of everything that the people of God know about how to worship Yahweh has to do with the temple, and it has to do with sacrifice, and it has to do with blood. None of which are present where John is. You see what he's doing. John is inviting the people of Israel out into the wilderness, away from the temple, and he's asking them to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin with no sacrifices, with no animals, with no blood. The Old Testament says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In the Levitical system, this is the way that it works. Maybe I could say it this way. At Mark has made it very, very clear that we find God working outside of in. The place where you think God will be the place where you expect to find God, the place where you think certainly God is here. What we find in Mark's gospel right out of the gate is that the spirit of God is present and at work outside of the city, in the wilderness, away from the temple, away from the rules and the regulations and the religious systems that the Israelites knew as worship of Yahweh. We find God working outside of in. I remember when I was in high school, I, I uh, had the crush on this girl. We'll call her Lisa for the sake of anonymity. Heaven forbid she'd ever hear this podcast. Uh, so Lisa, I'm in Spanish class, and uh, every, every kid got a, you got a Spanish name in Spanish class. You would think that uh, I would have chosen Miguel. I did not. I chose Ramon. <laughs> so I was Ramon. Ramon. Oh my gosh, my teacher, her name was Fidelina Fisher. Can't make it up. Can't make it up. Fidelina Fisher. And I, my brothers and I would always whistle at each other at school, and so I would sit in the back and just go, like this, just being an annoying freshman. And she would be, Ramon, no seamless, no seamless, Ramon. <laughs> got it, I got it, I got it. So Lisa, she's in my class. She's just dynamite, right? Redhead, uh, just, uh, she's a beauty. Uh, very, very lovely young lady. She was... Wonderful in form, as the scriptures say. Um, so I'm moving the chess pieces around, right? You know, I'm trying to get an angle on this, uh, this, this deal, trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to get this girl to like me. And then I find out she goes to youth group, and I'm like, bingo, I am in, right? I'm like, I go to youth group, I do it all the time, I, I was very involved in my church, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, sweet, this gal goes to youth group, so I figure I'll show up at our youth group. Now you have to remember, 
the church that I grew up in, it was, uh, it was as straight-laced as you will find. On our stage at our church, it, the church I grew up in, were the two high-back chairs where the music minister and the senior pastor would sit. Are you tracking? Are you following with me? I mean, we're talking old-school, like straight-laced, tight. The choir, you know, everybody sat. Mom was on one end, Dad was on the other. The five monkeys, which were me and my brothers, were in the middle. And it was just like, you may not speak. I remember one time this kid got loose <laughs> and he like army crawled underneath the chairs from like 25 rows back and he crawled all the way up to the front and emerged in the front of the deal and his mom's like, oh my God, like you just want to die right at that point. So the pastor's like, does anyone know who this is? Why did I tell that story? Oh, so my church is just really, really, really conservative. I mean, and this was a bad deal when this kid did this. So very, very, very conservative, you know. And, and uh, um, I show up at this church. It's over on Summit Avenue. And it was an Assemblies of God church. I'm, we're talking about, like, you know, California and New York. Like, my experience growing, like, everything I knew about God did not show up with the kick drum, okay? I mean, and you know, people, these kids were, you know, like, speaking in tongues and, like, singing and dancing. And I'm just kind of like, oh, my Lord, what is happening here? Is, like, have I been left behind? <laughs> Because God would never be there, right? In my experience, this is not how God works. I mean, it's got to be orderly, and, you know, you can't do that. But certainly, sure enough, the Spirit of God was there. And I saw it, and I saw it in this gal. Can I just remind you that sometimes we get caught up in our preconceived ideas and notions of who and what and where God will be. And Mark makes it very clear that God is working way outside of the boxes that we make for him in this passage. I mean, for, the, for God to be at work outside of the city, outside of the temple, without the Levitical system, is an absolute bomb. I mean, no way, never happen. God would never be there. And this is exactly where we find the Spirit at work. Now verse 9 says this, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jordan, by the way, means to descend. The river of descent. It's actually one of the lowest places on the planet Earth. I find that interesting. The fact that this is where the heavens open up. And we hear the voice of God speak to his son, the lowest possible place on the planet Earth. That's not in the script. For me, it begs the question, and for many others who I've talked to, this, this verse, Jesus goes out and he's baptized by John. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Right? Anybody ever thought that before? We're talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God's son needs to be bat- like what, 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 what is that about? I mean, my baptism, uh, which was the coolest baptism ever, by the way, the church I got baptized in, the actual baptismal, it was in the balcony. So like the whole stage was up here and then these curtains parted and it was like, like I'm about to be baptized. My <laughs> baptism was in Jesus' name. Jesus is the sinless, perfect son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He, and, and, and Jesus is not, 
He's not, um, he hasn't made some inward profession of faith that he's now publicly displaying with all of his friends and family at his church, right? So my evangelical Protestant Baptist roots don't help me here, do they? <laughs> okay. Sorry if I get a little too close. Um, but for me, this one just, it, it opens up when we begin to ask a different question. And it's one that's related to Jesus as symbol. Now, I want you to hear me clearly. What I'm not saying is Jesus as myth or Jesus as fairy tale, but Jesus as symbol. Instead of asking the question, why does Jesus need to be baptized? A more compelling question to me is, what are the gospel writers saying by saying that Jesus was baptized in the fashion that he was? Do you see the difference? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Is, getting, is asking a question that, quite frankly, none of us can ever answer. Right? 2,000 years ago, this far away from the text, we can't answer that question. But why did Mark tell the story this way? What does Jesus represent for Mark in the gospel that he wrote is a much more compelling and interesting question. There's a guy named uh, Alan Verhe, and he was, he was uh, an ordinand. He was being uh, ordained. And during his interview, which I guess is, can get pretty intense depending on who you're being ordained with, uh, someone stood up and they asked him a question about Genesis 3. They said, okay, the serpent in Genesis 3, did the serpent really speak? He paused and thought and he said this, if we ask the wrong question of the scriptures, then we will get the wrong answers. Then we should not blame the scripture, but our questions. Karl Barth similarly was asked the question about the serpent. Did the serpent speak? And he says, it does not matter if the serpent spoke. What matters is what the serpent said. Very, very, very profound difference. Remember that the, 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 the Gospels are, a, like the scripture is a dance between this human named Mark and the Spirit of God at work, revealing and inspiring. So how Mark tells the story and what Mark is trying to do by saying this about Jesus is very, very, very important. Mark's purpose, which he makes very clear in verse 1, is to say something qualitative about Jesus. Most importantly, that he's the Christ. And there are all kinds of symbolic threads that if you start pulling on them in Mark's gospel, they just open things up. I want to highlight two possibilities or two symbolic understandings of Jesus' baptism. One is Jesus as true Israel. Think back to Genesis chapter 12. Who, who, we have God coming to Abram saying, I'm going to make you a nation and through you, the entire world will be blessed. The entire world will be renewed. The entire world will be, or at least possible, what will be possible is a relationship with Yahweh through Israel. And at the end of the Old Testament, where do we find Israel? In exile. And if we're honest, having failed, lived, failed to live into who God called them to be. So Mark presents Jesus as a true Israel or as a second Israel. Where is Jesus led as soon as he's baptized? The wilderness, into the desert. How many days was he out there? Does this sound familiar to anybody? This is the Exodus all over again. This is, this is Jesus reenacting Israel's history. What, did, what happened when, the, when Moses goes up on the mountain? What did the people do immediately when he was gone? They build a golden calf. Remember this? They, they bow down to an idol. 
Essentially what Mark is doing is saying Jesus reenacts Israel's history and he passes the test. He fulfills Israel's vocation. He lives it out. It's the affirmation and the baptism and the affirmation of Jesus by God that pulls the trigger to release Jesus into this vocation as true Israel. Now, let me just keep the symbolism going. If Jesus is true Israel, if he's what Israel should have been and, and, and God has called them to be, then it's Israel expects God to do something. All of the prophets up to this point have, have said that God will return and God will do something. There will be this great day of judgment. There will be this great outpouring of God's spirit. Think Micah. Think Joel. Think Ezekiel. That God would do something. That, 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 that the people or Israel would be judged and that the spirit would be poured out. How this was all going to play out, people debated over that and they argued about that. Not like anybody in church these days, right? If Jesus is true Israel and he's about to be poured out as an offering, what does the priest have to do before he goes into the temple? Did you know that on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, the, te- the, the high priest would go into the temple, he'd be wearing all this crazy garb, and on the bottom of his, of his dress would be bells, so that you could hear them walking, and when the bells stopped ringing, they knew he was dead, and they pulled him out by a rope. Why? Because if you go into the presence of God and you have not solidified all of the ceremonial things that you would have done before you went before God, the ceremonial cleansing and washing, bad news. Well, dead. Worse than bad news. If Jesus is true Israel and he represents this idea, and this is what Mark is working with, then Jesus goes out to John to be baptized, to be prepared for something holy because Mark connects Jesus' baptism with the pouring out of the Spirit and the restoration that comes with judgment of Israel and the world. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Wrong question. What is Mark doing with Jesus in telling the story this way? He's connecting Jesus to the hope of Israel that has been present in all of this text all of the scriptures up to this point. And he's essentially saying that it's here and now, at this moment, that we know it to be true, that it's Jesus. Let me wrap this thing up, and I would say one more thing uh, about this that I just find stunning and striking. I would maybe say it this way. Jesus' baptism was about affirmation, and it's about identity. Some people argue, this one's crazy. Some people actually argue that Jesus didn't know that he was the one until this moment. I mean, if you're, if you're there and it's playing out in real time, right, and, and you're, you're, you're a part of this group of people, uh, God's people, and you're waiting, you're all waiting, you're waiting for God to do what God would do, that he would pour out his spirit and redeem Israel and recreate the world. You're waiting for this, but you don't know how or when or where. Some argue that Jesus doesn't know until this moment when the, when the heavens open up and the voice of God is heard and the spirit descends on him that he's the one. That he's the prophet like Moses that Deuteronomy 18 talks about. That John is the prophet like Elijah that it talks about in, in I think it's Kings. By the way, John's description by Mark, he's eating, uh, he was wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and that direct quote from who they said would come that would look like Elijah. Mark connects all of these dots and he puts them together. The, the whole, um, the sky opening up and the heavens being rent, this is Isaiah 64.1. The Spirit of God descending on Jesus, this is Isaiah 42.1. The voice of God saying, you are my son, this is Psalm chapter 2 verse 7. These are all Old Testament passages that Mark just blings in there. And it's like right here, right now. 
Mark makes it very clear to the reader that this is exactly what he thinks is happening. And notice that it is only after Jesus' affirmation, only after Jesus' identity is made clear to possibly him and to those around him that he's led into his calling. Let me say that differently. It's only after Jesus knows who he is that he's able to do what he's called to do. It's only after Jesus has heard God's voice about who he is that he's able to live into who he is. I wonder how many of us have heard less than, you are my son and I love you. You are my daughter in whom I am pleased. I wonder how many of us have heard less than that message about who we are at the core of who we are. It's only after Jesus understands and and his identity is affirmed that he's led out into who he's called to be. In Mark's gospel, the good news of it is that in Christ, you, this is who you already are. In Christ, you are made new. In Christ, you are reborn. In Christ, you have been recreated. In Christ, you are healed. In Christ, you have been saved. Now receive it. Live into it. This is the invitation of Mark's gospel. That something has happened in Jesus that has made a declarative statement about who you are and who you were made to be. You have been healed. You have been recreated. You have been saved. Now live into it. Receive it by faith. This is the invitation of the gospel. Gang, I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm a mess. I don't need anyone to tell me that I am broken, crooked, dirty, that my heart is ugly. I know that at the core of who I am. All I need to do is look at myself in the mirror in the morning. And I'm guessing that you don't need some religious preacher to tell you the same. I'm guessing that at some level you already know that you have need. That you need something outside of yourself. This is the gospel! This is what the story is all about! That in Jesus you have been offered. You have been given an inheritance. It is already secure. Now live it. Believe it by faith. Take it and, it, and allow it to change you and transform you. The part that I spend so much time, day in and day out, trying to, trying to do, trying to like live up to something, trying to be enough, trying to prove myself to whoever or whatever. I'm sure that I'm the only one in the room that has this problem. If I'm honest, a lot of what I say or do comes from, there's, there's a bit of that in everything, right? When the skies open up and the voice of God is heard by Jesus, I'm curious, what had Jesus done? We have no record of anything that Jesus has done up to this point. He was born, and then he shows up at the baptism in the river called Descent. Jesus has, has healed no one. He has performed no miracles. He has not turned water into wine yet. Looking forward to that one. <laughs> he hasn't done anything. And the voice of God says, this is my son and I love him. This is my daughter and I love her. I take delight in you. 
Can you just hear that for a second? Regardless of what other, other, whatever other tapes are playing in your head. This, you are my son. And I love you. You are my daughter. And I delight in you. There isn't anything that you can do to deserve that. It's a gift. And it's called grace. And it's the good news. It is the Sith of apocalyptic symbolics that Mark wields to press a seed into a dirty and dusty ground that sprouts on Easter Sunday when Jesus comes out of the tomb. Come on now, come on. God, somehow, some way, would you open our eyes? Would you peel back the scales? Would you unlock our hearts? And would you speak those words over us today? And God, may we hear them, maybe for the first time. God, for those in the room who have said yes to Jesus, would you remind them that it is not what they do, it is not who they are, it's not what they produce, it's not what they accomplish, it's not if they get it done, but it's grace. It's delight from your heart. God, for those who have yet to trust Christ, Holy Spirit, would you invite, would you beckon and make oh so clear what you have made possible and who you have made them to be. And may they take hold with faith the truth about Jesus and the resurrection of the Son of God. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.